Today's program has been brought to you by Artisanal Imports. Artisanal Imports is an importer of specialty beers from England, Germany, Belgium, and beyond. For more information, visit www.artisanalimports.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And uh, we are a podcast on all things fermentable, uh, including all sorts of fun stuff. Today, Mary and I are pretty much fresh back from the Craft Brewers Conference, where we saw lots of inspirational brewing stuff, including a great presentation from today's guest, Bruce Williams. What's up, Bruce? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me down. (laughs) And we're talking about brewing with botanicals, but before that, Mary got an interview a while ago uh, with Professor Fritz Bream. Yep. So back in December, um, I spoke to Dr. Fritz Bream in the backyard of the Diamond in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, or Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and he spoke to me about his 1809 and his... um, Gratzer beer, which we played at an earlier episode, I think episode four, and I also got a short clip talking from him talking about how he makes his gruit. So we're going to start off with that, and then we'll bring in Bruce. All right, so I am back in the backyard of the Diamond in Greenpoint neighborhood of Brooklyn, speaking with Dr. Fritz Bream, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk about today about his gruit. So tell me what inspired you to create recreate a gruit? That's a very unusual. So that so gruit. What is a gruit? So a gruit was before beer, before uh, we knew be- that hops were... Yeah, that's the point, before hops. Yeah, yeah so people would use, instead of balancing the beer with hops and using, you know, all the qualities that hop give, the preservation, yeah. aroma, flavor, bittering, etc., people would use spices and herbs. Right. And that was called a gruit. So what inspired you to uh, create a gruit? Very simple, you know, because coming from a hop family, ah, yes. <laughs> you know, so, so I grew up in a hop area, I was thinking... Are there any other options? Well, let's say that way. I was hoping there are no other options. You know? <laughs> in, 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 in the sake of my, my my area, you know, where I grew up. So no, but seriously, it's just I just wanted to know what, what, how does it turn out mm-hmm. if you're using no hops? How does it turn out from the microbiological aspect? You know, because you know, like you said already, it's it's hops are a preservative. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the other hand, you know, the, the gruit is very interesting because basically it's not, not only for the flavor, but originally the, the, the spices and herbs had more or less a, how can I say that? I don't want to call it a religious background, but it, it had also the background. Symbol, like a symbolic. Symbolic. And it was something like it could open your mind. You know, ah, you know what I mean? So like, it's a, yes. I don't want to call it like like a drug or, or, or something like that, but you can, some herbs uh, can make you more creative, mm-hmm. uh, take away limitations, you know, and and so some people try to find the spirit of I don't want to call it God, but or the spirit from somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, and by 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 using what. Well, herbs or natural ingredients you know mm-hmm. and that can be very dangerous yes so uh, the, so the the idea is can you use other herbs or ingredients which 
give an interesting flavor without being dangerous, mm -hmm. but stabilizing the beer in a way that that at least you can keep it for a while, you mm -hmm. know, not at too high alcohol, and that's the challenge, you know, because if you go up to 10, 11% alcohol, well, it's relatively easy. Right. But but the Gruyd is only about 5%. So it's quite it's it's it's, it's quite risky still, you know. So and then the question is what how do you compose your Gruyd? Because there are no rules for that. Right. So you can basically choose whatever you like to choose. And, well, it's, it's just a, a kind of a personal preference then, on the one hand, flavor-wise, but technically you have to think a little bit about what could, could really well, bring a benefit to the stability of the beer mm -hmm. from the microbiological side, but also from the protein side. Because right. you know, hops usually don't only bring alpha acid and flavor; they also bring polyphenols. Mm -hmm. You know, and most of the brewers know that. You know, if you boil the hops or the the word with the hops, you get a better hot break. Right. You know? Yes. So you so you take out more proteins. So you have to go for something which also brings phenolic substances into the system, so that you get a cross reaction with the proteins. Mm -hmm. So and all this. You know, the, the, these different parts were, you know, really uh, were important factors to decide what you put into the gruit. Right. As such. The, the spice and herb yeah. component. Wow. And then with my work in Asia, of mm -hmm. course, you get some inspiration from, from from Asia. You know. Absolutely. And if you may, I hope you you really can confirm that there are some Asian spices in in the gruit. In the gruit. And I think it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it's a combination of traditional European spices, but also some Asian spices. You know, and most of the spices, uh, spices anyway, even during that time, came from 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 Asia. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, along the spice route. Uh, so it, it's nothing new, basically. Right. And that was the main reason for the group. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Very fun, very fun stuff. Uh, Pete Dixon from Six Point just came in too. Their most, their recent mad scientist uh, was was a Gruet. Hi, Pete. Hi. Thanks for making it. Welcome. <laughs> but Bruce, that that the talk you gave down at CBC was really, really, really inspiring as a brewer for for many reasons. Of you know, in particular, you were talking, you showed a lot of your forage, your personal foraging of of the spices that you use and some yeah. stuff that you do with Williams Brothers. You made a heather ale. You brought it with us. We tried. Um, I mean, all of our products are foraged locally. That's the whole philosophy of what we do, is to try and utilize local ingredients to make historic ales. Um, and these are precedents of our country. They are local, regional flavors that we are trying to include. And unfortunately, I've not tried an awful lot of the other groups that are around in the, in the US. I'm trying to get my way through them. I tried a fantastic one from the brewery um, in Orange County it's a lavender saison which I thought fantastic I mean that's to me tastes better than I think that could include a lot more people that, won't, that don't already drink beer because yeah. of the flavor profile right and it's a genuine product and it's locally harvested and all the rest of it which I think is fantastic and I, and I mean I did go to an extreme in that presentation about you know presenting that concept of brewing a beer from a seven mile island as well and utilizing the ingredients from a terroir, you know, the, right. that, that whole concept of 
locally foraging product to make a beer that was made in Scotland for <coughs> 4,000 years, you know. Um, and th this little island is between the island of Isla and Jura, which are both famous for whiskey. Yeah. But this island can't make whiskey, but it can make, you can produce enough product to make a local beer or ale. And is that where you get the seaweed as well from we the shores? We picked the seaweed from the shores of that particular island. We picked the heather from there, the bog myrtle. We actually brought oats back. Oh, we didn't brew it on the island. We right. took all the ingredients from the island and brewed it in aloe in the brewery. But it just goes to show that you can utilize these ingredients and make this fantastic product from just this local area. And it has, it did, you know, like we, we'd make heather ale as a normal product. But that batch of heather ale that I made from Gia was in fact a lot more had a lot more flavour to it. I mean, it's a low island. It goes up about more than about 60 or 70 feet. Um, so it's got a lot of salt water air going over the top of it. And mm. that really came through in the beer as well. You know, that kind of a briny quality that you get from being on a low-lying island in the Atlantic. <laughs> you know? yeah. Are there any uh, typical rules that you would put, apply to brewing with botanicals? Yeah, well, I have a basic philosophy or a principle of making beers with botanicals. I mean, I... Foraging for local botanicals is what, how I started. So using local ingredients and then coming in and making up a small batch. So normally what I do is make up a single batch fermentation, probably of just a gallon, with a high proportion of um, botanicals in it, but with a single botanical, not mixing it all up. And then after you've got that, then you can mix those together. Now, for example, um, your sort of qualities of stability um, come into play here now we, we use a thing called bog myrtle regularly in our brewing and that has those phenol qualities bog what? bog, bog, myrtle. bog myrtle yeah Mirica gale is its official Latin name I think right? mm -hmm. um, and uh, it grows all over Scotland as well and that gives you all those qualities it does give you stability it gives you an antiseptic level that you need to get so that gives that product stability we have to kick so uh, again I brew just a pure bog myrtle beer as well and then blend those together right. because it in order to maintain the, the heather note, you don't want to totally overcome it with the bog myrtle note, so you have to balance that flavour. Same scenario when we were doing a Scots pine, a, a beer called Alba, which is made with pine and spruce. Mm -hmm. uh, we pick fresh um, pine shoots, and they again have high um, antiseptic qualities as well, so they go into the boil, but you have to boil them for at least 90 minutes to get... To get those qualities out of it? To, yeah, for the, also, uh -huh, and also to, like kick out the resin you have to really boil it for a long oh, yeah. time because it, it does pick up the protein as well and it does help the break <coughs> but then we use um the spruce tips now you can't boil the spruce tips because i don't know if you've ever used spruce as an essence but it, it just turns molassesy and brown it doesn't have the aromatic qualities or flavors as using fresh spruce so in april when the the, the spruce trees start to bud they just burst a little brown bird on the end of it and they just burst and it goes emerald green you'll see it in April you watch the spruce just goes bright green right? mm. and just at that point is when you pick the spruce tips and then use those like as a late hop but you don't add them to the boil because if you add them to the boil all the volatiles just get flashed off and you don't have the quality of the aromas and flavours that you could get do you do it at flame out or like what degree? We take it down to about 90 degrees because okay. we've got a whirlpool kettle so we just run it down to about 90 and then we've put in the Okay. Like tips, yeah, and that's the best way to do. It. I've done it before with putting it in too early, and it just 
but you, you lose so much of the aroma from the product. But you've tried these beers. Though. I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have the thing. And, it, and people are saying to me, they're going like, well, and, and it's a kind of a like, blindfold test on that beer. It's quite regularly. I like to do that with people and say, what do you think this beer is made from? And we get black cherries or bubble gum and all these kind of notes that they're picking up. And of course, they're, you know, it's just spruce and pine. Right. Does it change, um, you know, does, how, how much does spruce and pine vary, you know, yield to yield? Uh, it does vary a bit, but then we're compensating now. We've got to a point where we're f- when we pick it, we freeze it straight away because we can't use it all, you know, straight away. Right. We do have a certain seasonality to our products, and we um, particularly bring in the spruce and pine beer. Ironically, we do <laughs> spruce and pine beer mostly at Christmas time because right. people seem to like it at <laughs> yeah. that time of year, and it, uh, the time that we harvest it is in April. Um, but uh, no, it does vary from year to year. But now we're mixing it in. Yeah. So we're mixing in 2010 with 2011, trying to get some sort of continuity to the flavour. And also, we do kind of rule of thumb taste it as well and say, right, okay, we need to add a little bit more spruce or cut back on the pine a little bit um, because this seems to be a lot stronger than it was last year. I, I was talking just before we started that uh, you know your your talk was pretty inspirational, and the, one of the first things Mary and I did when we came back is, is you know look through what kind of local things we have here and there's actually a group that gets together and uh forages in central park and prospect park for for yeah other other new york city and westchester parks yeah but there's but the parks commission is actually going against them or like they they need to be there trying to cut that down trying to cut that down but uh i'm not sure what what side of the fence i lie on that yeah i I brew such small batches that you know i'm not really going I don't know the ecology is going to but I'd love to make a Central Park gruit man that would be really fun or a Prospect Park gruit but I think you can also we were talking about getting stuff from the green market because there's speaking of lavender there's a wonderful person that a farm on Long Island that brings lavender to the green market so even if 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 you're in a city like we are and you can't forage in in your backyard or your local woods you can still go to your green market at least and get some local stuff and I think there's actually people that you could probably make some special requests from your green market as well if you're a home brewer or brewing on a small system in lieu of, of going to the sea and, 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 <laughs> and uh, foraging seaweed it's like not that did. far though no. I mean like I mean, it, from here for example it's not that far to go and no that's true that's, that's true, true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how happy I'd be about using seaweed get some Coney Island seaweed but you have to go <laughs> way sure, out yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that we're going to take a quick break uh, thanks for listening for men about it and when we come back we're going to talk to Pete Dixon from Six Point and uh, taste some of the beers that we have in front of us and talk about the approach to both of them yep
Artisanal Imports is an importer of specialty beers from England, Germany, Belgium, and beyond. Their portfolio of fine ales and lagers is broad and represents a wide range of beer styles. But it is not their mission to collect every small brewery across Europe. They believe in working in full partnership with their breweries and are careful to select beers that are high quality and interesting, but that do not overlap one to the next. For more information, visit www.artisanalimports.com. I've been doing lots of different events. On Welcome cancer. back to Fermen About It. <laughs> <laughs> We're in second session of this Fermen About It thing we got going on. Pete Dixon, how's it going? It's going good. What is the Mad Scientist series you guys are doing over there? Uh, we're doing a series that's coming out once every month uh, with a new beer that we kind of try to cut our teeth on a whole new style or approach. Either it be historic or just something crazy and off the wall. Uh, the last couple lineups have been pretty historic. We're about to tackle a uh, traditional Pulitzgratzer, right, nice. and that should be coming out, uh, I think, within the month. And uh, the latest that we have, which I actually brought with me today, is the uh, Mad 13, which is going to be the Gruet Ale. And uh, what strength is the Gruet Ale? Uh, ours actually rang in a little high uh, for what we were approaching. Um, I don't actually remember the number right now. It's <laughs> five, <laughs> between five and six. Okay, well, that's some moderate. What, uh, what, uh, what botanicals did you use for this gruet? Uh, did you forage Central Park or Central <laughs> Park? We did not or, forage Central Park. Or Red Hook beaches? Uh, <laughs> actually, we did uh, a little bit of what Bruce was talking about, where we, uh, we actually took the time to single out about five or six different seasonings that we wanted to use. Uh, including what we use, which is uh, juniper, mugwort, uh, heather tips, and yarrow. And uh, we actually made up small five-gallon batches of each and then did a little blending and, and saw where we wanted to go. Some of the guys that got knocked out of the running was, uh, um, yeah, there was uh, some... Uh, <laughs> I, I can't uh, licorice root. There we go. Oh, licorice root. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so many seasons. Um, so we went through that. We ended up uh, finally ended up brewing a final batch of the, the four all together. Um, we also tried to play around a little bit with a malt bill. Um, we wanted to uh, really try to explore kind of what it would have been historically. So although we can't recreate what they did back then with, you know, your at the whim of whatever you can grow in your field. So, I mean, modern farming technology now singles out barley, and only barley. So right. back then it was like, all right, maybe there's sprinkling of oat, a little sprinkling of wheat, a little sprinkling of rye. And we just kind of like threw a little bit out in there with the barley. And uh, and then as far as roasting goes, uh, we threw in a little bit of smoke because couldn't keep it all out. And sure. we threw in a little bit of some, uh, some roasted malts. No caramel because obviously, you know, not really to the style. But... Uh, so that's what we ended up with. That, that's exciting. I'm really excited to taste it. But my glass is full of something else at the moment, uh, <laughs> which is actually from Bruce. What is, what is this? This is your, your, your beer with Brian Strumke. Yeah. Um, Brian came over. Um, Brian and I have been friends for a while. <clears throat> we have a, uh, an understanding, shall we say. Right, so ended up... <laughs> Thanks um, to the other people. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. So um, he came over and has always been intrigued about making um, a saison as well for me because like well, this is a new style for me. To, we've never used a saison yeast in our brewery, and uh, he said like he'd like to use a lot of our botanicals and mix in his yeast to it. So he shipped himself over with a bag full of his yeast, and um, we'd already chatted about the concept about using a blend of heather, myrtle, um, and we use seaweed in, in the mash in that one as well. You've got that little briny saltness 
yeah. on it, yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, with his saison yeast. But also, you know, he's quite generous with his use of hops. So there's quite a lot of Nelson Savon in it as that well. Does, in a late yeah. end. And we put gooseberries in it as well. So it's secondary fermented on gooseberries as well. So it's got that acidity. Yeah. yeah. This is but delicious. It, so are we going to see this in this country? Yep. Well, eventually when I get the label design from <laughs> Mr. Strunky. <laughs> we'll push him to that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we're going to bottle it in 33s. I'm probably going to send it over in um, uh, the key kegs as well. So okay. it'll be available on draft. And But I think Brian's particularly wants to um, introduce it in a 33 CL bottle. Sure. Yeah. So you haven't, you have, Williams Brothers does not make Saison's. We don't, right? we've never done a Saison before. Yeah. This is the first time. I mean, and that's the influence of Brian. That's what I love about all this thing, is that this kind of friends across the water, Absolutely. the way that we develop ideas and concepts, you know, that he's come over and influenced our brewery. And, and also, obviously, we've originally given him the idea to use botanicals in his brewing as well. So it, it makes, it just, you know, it's great when that kind of stuff happens, you know. Yeah, this is delicious. It is good. So this is a bottle that Bruce handed me actually after the cra- <coughs> after he finished his seminar at the Craft Brewers Conference. He had he pulls this bottle out. It's a, a brown plastic bottle. And he's like, "Don't put this in the fridge yet. It's still bottle conditioning." Yeah. But I thought it would be great to open it on the show, and it's absolutely beautiful beer. Yeah. So, so this is not available yet, but so we're we're way, way ahead. But no, I'm dead keen to try this one as well. So this yep. is your yeah. Your we're excited. Let's team, try this group. <clears throat> have you brewed much with botanicals uh, as a home brewer or, or prior to this group, uh, Pete? Not much, actually. I ended up um, really just kind of diving in on on this this project in particular. Uh, I, as far as my home brewing career goes, all four years of it, it was oh, careful. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's, it's lively. Stuck, stuck mostly to the hops and um, you know the traditional brewing ingredients. So you've put hops in this one as well, then? We actually ended up using just a smidge of Hallowtown, just because we liked the way that it balanced out, and we justified it in our own heads, saying that, well, there was hops around, too, and occasionally it would have probably made it into someone's kettle. Yep. <laughs> so, well, what sort of IBU level is that? Uh, nine. I mean, it's, okay, it's, it's nothing. Significant, yeah. 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 But it was just enough of a, um, a hoppy backbone and the bitterness just to, to add to the four flavors and like without it it was definitely noticeably not there well, we, we have to list um, in our ingredient panel that we have hops in most of our beers in order to get through the FDA qualification of what beer is if it doesn't yeah, have hops in it really yeah we, so we're putting literally a pound of hops into 40 barrels in order just to keep the <laughs> FDA approved that it does contain a hop level 0.02 B- <laughs> yeah. I have mine to make a kvass next week at, at 508 and I think I have to throw a little bit of barley in there too just to keep it just to keep it in the FDA yeah, yeah. But, you're, you're, but you're not are you selling it yeah, we're All selling right. it down at 508. Right. It's a small little gastro brewery yeah. in South Manhattan. Right. You know, okay. Two-barrel system. I yield 50 gallons at a time. So it's does not that much. actually the FDA get involved in something as small as that? They don't come after us. <laughs> but if we're going to do it right. <laughs> yeah. okay. And we always play by the rules. Even if you do. just put one hot <laughs> you know, you've done it. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about because one thing also that I was interested in in your seminars that you spoke about, you know, being careful about what you're using as far as botanicals. So you yeah. can't use everything. I mean, plants yeah. are, can be toxic. Yeah, so that's something as a home brewer or as a pro brewer that you want to be aware of. You can't just, you know, talk, we're talking about foraging or using what's in your garden. You can't just use everything. You have to make sure that it's safe. It is a very big concern. I mean, you've got to take responsibility as a brewer that when you're offering somebody a drink that you've got to take, not take that on board, right? right. <laughs> and um, Heather, in fact, does have a, a possible psychotropic quality um, and uh, so from that point of view if it's dried it won't have um, but if you were to use it 
um, fresh and possibly not boil it um, and not go through the fermentation process fully, then you could actually have a residual. But we, we're boiling it for 90 minutes and it's being fermented and then we're running it through a, a, a fil filtration process as well. So all those things are eliminated in it. We do make a, a batch at Christmas time every year called the Pictish Brew, which people queue up for, and it's kind of become a kind of an urban legend that you get stoned on it. <laughs> what is in that? Just Heather. Just Heather. Yeah, just Heather. <laughs> we just don't wash it very much. <laughs> it's funny. I like that. Man, this is really good, too. This is the first yeah. time I've had this. So. Thank you. For a between 5 and 6%, it's very nice. Really. Well, that's good, yeah. <laughs> You, licorice root, did you say? No, we actually canceled that out. That right. was uh, one of the ones that were in there originally. We um, you had we, yarrow. Name the four you had in there again. Yarrow, mugwort, uh, juniper, and heather tips. And heather mm. tips. So the astringency of the heather tips is coming through. I can see. I can feel that. Yeah, yeah. the dryness. And did you buy the dried heather for that one? Then? Yeah, yeah, it was dried. I think um, fresh heather does grow in. New England, though you can get mm -hmm. it in uh, New Hampshire. Because Cambridge, one of the beers that was yeah. was poured at CBC, your seminar yeah, yeah. was the Cambridge Heather Ale, and I think I read about that. They, yeah, well, we'll talked about that. That he he actually that. they go out and forage for it, which is that's that. I suppose that it's bizarre and ironic in a way. I mean, I'm bringing a product four thousand miles, but I'm bringing a philosophy as well. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the whole concept of saying, right, okay, now this is the style of beer that's made four thousand miles away in a local terroir or whatever. But think about it. And try and utilize that philosophy with where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully that's the great thing about it. We can spread that concept. And, you know, in the West west Coast of America, there'd be like a big West Coast spruce tip beer. It'd be great, you know. And I think that's one of the things that I noticed at the Craft Brewers Conference is that a lot of people, a lot of brewers are using interesting local ingredients. I had a Rosemary Gosa from North Carolina. We had a, a spruce and sarsaparilla beer mm -hmm. from um, Minnesota and then like uh, Perennial in St. Louis is doing bl a black walnut beer that right. was made with local black walnuts mm -hmm. so that's one thing I kept noticing over and over is that A, very unusual ingredients I mean to traditional beer drinkers and they're also using local ingredients Yeah. so I think you know it was good. I mean, like you're ahead at, of the curve. At, well, even <laughs> even there, when you was at that presentation I was I, was, I did say at one point like any, put your hand up if you've used botanicals in brewing Almost the whole room. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. There was like 800 people there. There was like, couldn't see a place where there wasn't a hand in the air. So they're already using it and they're starting to consider the use of it. But just that kind of idea of using local ingredients as well. There's so many possibilities over here in the US to start using those things, you know. Because it doesn't, North America in particular, doesn't have a great historical precedent for alcoholic beverage, but it does have a lot of great ingredients. And we're inspired by everyone, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you use them all different ways. Where did you put the botanicals in this? Uh, we actually ended up doing uh, 15 minutes before the end of boil. Okay. So, um, yeah, and that's it was interesting he hearing you talk about spruce before, Bruce, because uh, we did one of the earlier mad scientists was a uh, spruce tip ale. Right. And uh, there, I'm actually interested now to try your 90, 90 degree trick. We did a uh, flame out and whirlpool and then went and uh, got a, a very nice juicy fruit aroma and, and, and characteristic to it. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to see now with the 90 degree. You know, they're very volatile, these um, particular oils, so they'll just flash off. You know, you've yeah. got to try and be very gentle with them. Also, at the same time, you want to make sure that the product is sterile and stable. Mm -hmm. So you have to watch not to get it too cold. You know. But uh, yeah, definitely. And it's that, that's only experience I taught you that. But also use fresh ingredients. Don't use spruce extracts or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's much better to, if you can. And it's not a big deal. You go out and pick these things in April and put them in the freezer and 
break them whenever you want. I have uh, have some field trips planned for this year. <laughs> Central Park. Central, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You should get a bit fun of it. Cody Island. <laughs> Cody Island beaches. You know, fantastic. It's very fun. Uh, any any new things coming up? Oh, with the grotter, going back to the feds, better throw a handful of barley in that grotter. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> we have a friend that actually uh, put a grotter together and uh, told him the recipe was, was 100% smoked wheat and uh, that didn't fly. Really? So yep. they, Has to have barley he, to be considered a beer. And he asked how much and she's like, some. <laughs> so just throw some in there. <laughs> just a handful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any any new ingredients that you're excited to work with? Do you have any new beers that you're going to deal with from Scotland? Yeah, I mean, um, we have. We're always developing concepts. I mean, like, uh, like the elderberry beer, which we, we made. Bef- um, the Ebulum. I don't know. If you've had that one before. It's a roasted oat and elderberry beer. It's kind of got a whiny yeah. quality. Like, like a, it's a stout black beer, but it's got this kind of port essence mm-hmm. coming through in it I'm starting to look at the idea of like wood aging some of these things mm-hmm. so I want to get hold of some port barrels and then match that up and put them in you know nice port barrels and leave them for a year because we do a seasonal release which is our <coughs> anniversary beers and we use whiskey casks so we've been using particular collaborations with different whiskey companies like uh, Ockentoshan was the latest one and then we did a um, we did Glen Gary we've done um Glen Morangi, oh, just trying to basically find source different casks to age our beer in, and obviously with the Scottish tin on it, you know, yeah. you know so it's yeah. going to be a Scotch barrel. But yeah, those are the kind of things that I'm looking at now. And yeah, oh, I don't know, caramel. There's a thing called caramel, which is the root of the bitter vitch, but unfortunately, it's so yeah, it's hard to get. It's a tiny little tuber. Mm. I, and to get enough of it to brew a batch of beer and it's going to be tricky so I'm probably going to have to build myself a polytunnel and grow the rhythm myself in order to get it right. yeah yeah real quick too before we get out of here because we got very limited time left you have your you recently bottled your frock in a resealable bottle or a resealable uh, yeah, cap yeah, that right, is kind of new right yeah, yeah. We're using a thing called a Zork. Zork, yeah. yeah. I had only seen it like maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, it's an Australian idea. It's an idea of a re- reusable champagne cap. It's quite good um, because it's you tear it off the first time. It's got a security seal on it, but you can repop it back on again. And the, and of course, it's in a 750cl bottle, and the home brewers love it because they can reuse it as well. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, so no, it's quite a nice. That's a wood aged beer. That was wood aged in the Ockentosh and Sherry casks. I think that's why it came to mind. But. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for joining us. So, and, uh, we, Bruce Williams of Williams Brewing, Williams, Williams Brothers, Brothers Brewing Company, Company. Company. Oh. <laughs> and then Pete Dixon from Six Point. So, you guys can get bo- all of their beers right now. The um, Gruit's going to be around for a limited time in New York City. And how big are the batches of the Mad Scientist batches? Uh, we have how much did you brew at a time? Uh, we brew fourteen barrels. Uh, okay. So. About 32, 50 liters. Mm-hmm. So it's just on draft then? Yeah. Not yep. going to package it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so go get that. And then Bruce's beer, we get you I've see got it bottles on cask a lot. Condition. Right. We've, d- we've got some cask conditioned beer around us now. Um, we have shipped over some 30 liter uh, Heather Eels. Oh, great. Key kegs as well. So you should start seeing that in, on, on rotation in bars. Yeah. And then bottles, you always say. Well, we have bottles all the time, yeah. Yeah. So we'd urge you to try those and be inspired by them and, and try brewing with botanicals. Brew with local ingredients, botanicals, yeah. to stop. Let us know how it is. Thanks Send for listening. Uh, next week we're going to have Fritz for Now on, um, a local homebrewer. And we're going to play some of our uh, footage from Craft Brewers Conference. we got some great interviews. I think Matt Brindelson from Firestone Walker. Walker and Jim Crooks, who is the new um, <coughs> the master blender from Firestone Walker's Barrel Works. We're going to play interviews with them, and then we're going to talk about hops and 
all kinds of stuff next week. So please tune in 7 p.m. next Monday. Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening. For men about it. For men about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>